I want to read again the passage out of 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. This is what I've focused on the last couple weeks. The end of all things is near. And therefore be serious and discipline yourselves for the sake of your prayers. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining like good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. Whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies, so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To Him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And I made the point, or I've tried to make the point, that this is Paul's way of saying, let's keep the main thing the main thing. I like it when Paul, or Peter, excuse me, write in such a way that it kind of outlines it in a nice, very handy, easy to understand way. So keeping the main thing the main thing, as Peter says, is first of all, we pray. And we've talked about prayer in the last couple weeks. And I've been very gratified to have some of you respond back to me and say, could you tell me again what the letters brew mean when you mention that in your sermon on prayer? Uh, Be still, receive God's love, uh, embrace your life or embrace your personhood, welcome the day. And I've watched and have taken note that as we focused on prayer in that week, that it feels like people have been more intentional in being mindful of praying for one another and, and asking for prayer. And what does prayer mean in our own life? And what does prayer mean for us as a faith community? That posture of openness to God and openness to one another. So Peter says, pray. That's what we do. It connects us to God and it connects us with one another. And then last week we explored the idea of being stewards of our whole life. Or the way I define it is it's about self-management. How we manage our whole life in a way that serves others and honors God in all we do. How we steward our gifts. How we steward our abilities. How we steward our talents. How we steward our possessions. Giving in such a way that we serve one another and we serve this world. So If I were to say, what is Peter saying to keep the main thing the main thing? Well, Peter says, first, pray. Then Peter says, serve. And then I think this morning, Peter would say, welcome one another. And the way Peter phrases it is to be hospitable to one another without complaining. That's in the passage that um, from 1 Peter. We'll get to the passage that Dan read in a moment. But this term hospitable... When we think of hospitality, we think of uh, the hospitality industry like a hotel. We think of welcoming someone into our home. We may think of something congenial like coffee and tea or, or just having a very nice kind of maybe even surfacey conversation. But the concept of hospitality is so much richer and so much deeper and I would almost say much more transformative if I or us or we were able to really understand what does it mean to be a hospitable presence in this world, what does it mean to be a welcoming presence in this world? Uh, Author Christine Pohl, in her book Making Room, defines it this way. Hospitality involves some space into which people are welcomed, a place where unless the invitation is given, the stranger would not feel free to enter. To offer hospitality is to say welcome. And this welcome is more than just what we say when someone 
who attends Deep River Friends walks through the door, even though that's important, or someone walks through our front door and we say, welcome. To welcome is to reflect this very nature and character of God who by nature is welcoming, who by nature is invitational. In fact, there is nothing more descriptive of God than that of being a welcoming presence. And I would go as far as to say that anything other than welcoming is not of God. Anything that is not hospitable is not of God. Take, for example, Jesus in the New Testament. We see this welcoming presence of God in action. We read parables and stories of banquets where invitations are extended to the expected and to the privileged. But they give excuses as to why they can't come. And the servants are told, we'll go back out into the countryside, invite the poor, invite the sick, and invite the lame, invite the ones not privileged, invite the good and the bad and the ugly. And I'm sorry, I couldn't resist that. But invite all of those. These were all the folks in society of that day that were considered to be of no value, that were considered to be of no use, literally. And the the, the parable is saying, you know, the privileged and the powerful, they don't even want to come. And so extend the invitation to everyone. And as they did, no one is excluded. Everyone is welcome. The table was always a symbol of fellowship. The table was always a symbol of welcome. And the story reminds us that in God's kingdom, everyone is welcome at this table. Everyone who is excluded, everyone who is not excluded is welcome. We know the story of the prodigal son, the son who rejects his father's love and his father's care. He strikes out on his own only to realize that he had it much better under his father's care. Left to his own devices, he's made a mess of his own life. So he comes back to his father, willing to accept whatever lowly position his father will give him. And instead, his father runs out. And again, this is not normal in that culture. His father runs out, meets him with open arms, a wide embrace, a kiss, welcomes him home, throws him a big party, and celebrates. And this is this beautiful and powerful image of a God, the one who welcomes us even when we reject him. The one who celebrates our return even when we reject his care. And even in Jesus' own ministry, he welcomes the sick, the lame, the outcast. He welcomes the poor, the marginalized. He welcomes those who have committed adultery. He restores their dignity. He welcomes those despised by others, the tax collectors. He welcomes the religious seeker, the powerful like Nicodemus. He welcomes everyone, and he invites everyone. And we're invited, as in Matthew 25, to welcome the stranger. And all the letters in the New Testament about community, about local, local faith groups, all of them are around hospitality and welcome being an integral part and in making sure that everyone's needs are cared for. There is a, um, there's a fellow by the name of Jean Vanier in France who started a community years ago uh, for uh, disabled individuals. So they could care for one another, and he could care for them. And, and uh, it, it's been transformative in the lives of those who have come. It's been transformative in the lives of those who have served. And they don't treat them as special. They just treat them as people. People created in the image of God, and they all work together, and they all live together, and they all serve together. And this is what he writes about welcome. He says, welcome is one of the signs that a community is alive. To invite others to live with us is a sign that we're not afraid, that we have a treasure of truth and peace to share. And then he offers this warning. A community which refuses to welcome, whether through fear, weariness, insecurity, 
a desire to cling to comfort, or just because it's fed up with visitors, is dying spiritually. So what would Peter say? What would Paul say? We bring this together. I'll suggest this. First, we're to welcome one another because Christ has welcomed us. I love it when it's simple. We welcome one another because Christ has welcomed us. That's what Paul wrote in the, in the letter to Romans. Welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed you. That phrase, just as, means to an equal degree. Christ welcomes us freely, unconditionally, openly, without judgment, with all of our annoying behavior. Christ welcomes us in our imperfections and our messes, as well as with our doubts and our unbelief, and to an equal degree, just as freely, openly, unconditionally, and without judgment. We're to welcome one another just as Christ welcomes us. And as Peter adds, welcome one another without complaining. I can't say welcome others, but then go on and complain about how they conduct themselves or complain about their personality or complain about their temperament or complain about their idiosyncrasies or their personal preferences or their way of doing things. We're simply to welcome and receive and to provide this hospitable space for others. This morning I was giving more thought to, well, when do I complain? And this is going to be a tough confession, but here it is. I complain when people seem to interrupt my tightly organized schedule. And all of a sudden I'm like, really? Now? Inwardly, outwardly I'm going, hey, how are you doing? All right, so I've confessed that, all right? Point is, what God was saying to me this morning And I use the term from uh, Henry Nouwen, who often said, he began to shift and see these as holy interruptions. Those moments when, rather than complaining, receive it as a moment in which God has orchestrated for whatever reason. To have a moment of hospitality and welcome in that moment is to say, I don't know why this is, but I welcome you into my space. I welcome you into my schedule. I hadn't planned it, but that's okay. God is here God is present, I welcome you. That's my growing edge. I don't know what your growing edge is, but I would encourage you to think about your growing edge in welcoming one another, welcoming those who Christ has welcomed. And not only are we to welcome one another, but just a little bit of shift in words, we are to welcome everyone, not just those within our faith communities. As John wrote in his gospel, these words, very familiar words, for God so loved the world. That's a big place. For God so loved the cosmos. This is everyone. Not just a few, not just the Quakers, not just a certain political party, but everyone. And in that loving, we are to welcome everyone because everyone is created in the image of God and everyone carries with them the dignity and nobility of God's image. And I'll go back to that word, everyone. The writer of the book of Hebrews wrote this, Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Now, I didn't know what that meant when I was a kid. I I fancied someone with wings and a halo, and that's what they would all of a sudden transform themselves into. And maybe they do. But I think there's something else going on here. I think what's being said is this. Everyone we meet, even the stranger, is endowed with a measure of divine... um, divine presence. Everyone we meet is of sacred value. Everyone we meet is a sacred being. It doesn't matter whether they're a friend or foe. It doesn't matter how different they may be from you and I. It doesn't matter who they are, what nationality. It doesn't matter what religion. It doesn't matter. It's everyone. 
And as author and retreat leader Marjorie Thompson writes this, she says, quote, hospitality in biblical times was understood to be a way of meeting and receiving holy presence. Although providing hospitality was risky, it was, it was a risk taken in faith. It's a risk because we're making ourselves vulnerable when, we're, when we offer a welcome and a hospitable presence. It may not be returned. It's a risk because we're opening ourselves up to overcome our personal fears. Sometimes our own prejudices by creating this generous space of understanding. It's risky because I have to open myself up to my fears. I have to open myself up to my prejudice. I have to open myself up to places where I may think I disapprove. It's risky because in my willingness to welcome some people, in your willingness to welcome some people, you may raise the ire and disapproval of others. But here's this, here's this to remind you of. I'm often reminded myself that Jesus continually received the disapproval and anger mostly of the religious leaders of his day because of who he welcomed and who he accepted. So if that happens to you, you're in pretty good company. And I would rest easy and sleep well because of that. Now, not only do we need to welcome one another, not only do we need to welcome everyone or are invited to do so, but there's one other group that we leave out often, and that's ourselves. We need to welcome ourselves because it's through that firsthand encounter of experiencing God's love and God's acceptance that we're able to share with others the same hospitality God shows us. The same welcome that God extends to us, we're able to extend to others. The same generous space God extends to you and I to grow, to learn, to fail, to make mistakes, we extend to others. The same generous availability God shows in getting to know and understand you and I, we extend that to others. Who we are outwardly is often a reflection or a projection of who we are inwardly. If I reject this unknown part of myself that feels like I'm a stranger, I'll reject the unknown and strangers around me. If I am impatient with my own feelings and mistakes, I'm going to be impatient with those around me and those who make mistakes. If I'm unwilling to receive myself as I am, with all of my messiness, with all of my imperfections, I'm often unwilling to receive others with all of their imperfections and messiness. And offering hospitality and welcome often flows from the soul that is on the way to wholeness. And this wholeness is built on this foundation of personal hospitality and welcome in which we are, accept ourselves in the same way God accepts us. Just very simply, the first person I probably often need to welcome is myself. The one person I'm probably a big stranger to is often myself. There's a wonderful poem by an author by the name of Derek Walcott that speaks to this. I've got the book on my shelf and I go back to it often because of how it reminds me of welcoming myself. So let me read it and um, pick out a couple lines just for you to pay attention to. This is what he writes. The time will come when, with elation, you will greet yourself arriving at your own door, in your own mirror. And each will smile at the other's welcome and will say, sit here and eat. And you will love again the stranger who was yourself. I love that line. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. The biggest stranger in your life may be your own sense of self. Maybe you. 
Give wine, give bread, give back to your heart, to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored for others, who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your own image from the mirror. Sit, feast on your life. Now there's a lot of imagery there. There's a lot of beautiful words, but I would say this. What I hear Derek saying is, we are often estranged from our own wounds. We're often estranged from our own pain. We're often estranged from our own denial and hurt. We're often estranged from our own true self. And so often the first person we're invited to really welcome and celebrate is us because that's who God celebrates. And when we do that, then we know what that feels like. And then we offer that to those around us. And I would almost bet, if betting's allowed, that if I do that openly with me, I'm going to be able to do that with everyone and anyone around me. If you and I can love again the stranger who is ourself, then maybe we can learn to love the stranger who is near us around us, beside us, worshiping with us, looking to us for some sign that God truly does exist and care, looking to us for some kind of sign that they matter, that they're not invisible, that they're of deep value. 1 John um, chapter 1, verse 5, in the paraphrase, the message reads this way, quote, Dear friend, when you extend hospitality to Christian brothers and sisters, even when they are strangers... You make the faith visible. I'm going to add to that, not only Christian brothers and sisters, but anyone and everyone. When you do that, we make the faith visible. This is the power of the gift of hospitality, of a welcoming presence and a welcoming faith. We make visible that which is, unvisible, that which is invisible and unseen, the faith that is bound, out, bound up in a generous and loving God. So here, here's the thing. Let's go build a welcoming world. It doesn't take a degree. It doesn't take a training class. All it takes is a willingness and the courage to show up in that way. To show up as someone who this week will make yourself available to the lonely. To show up as someone who welcomes those who are often excluded or marginalized. To show up as someone who offers a generous space for others to be who God has called them to be and to get to know them. Show up as someone willing to be a little bit patient with those who annoy you and irritate you and to provide a generous space for them to exist. To show up as someone willing to welcome those that often feel unwelcome, unrecognized, or invalidated. Or to show up as someone who welcomes those who are hiding out of fear that if they really let people know who they are, they're afraid of being rejected. This is what a welcoming world looks like. This is the kind of world that God intended This is the kind of world that Peter invites us to build. This is what he says, keep the main thing the main thing. Pray, serve, and welcome. And then we'll be off to a good start.